have to literally manage patients at home with oxygen and this is not something we are enjoying we have a 35 year old who's on the ventilator and we are not able to help people now we we really don't want any of you to be in that situation this was the emotional plea of a doctor in mumbai as she broke down urging people to wear masks dr trupti gilada's words are a harsh reminder of some of the most heart-wrenching scenes we have seen in india scenes of utter crisis as patients die on the streets outside hospitals due to lack of oxygen or a hospital bed india hit what it thought was its peak of covid-19 infections in september 2020 and its cases soon started to decline but the country now has the world's second highest number of covid-19 cases surpassing brazil and now only behind the united states The new deadly explosion has overwhelmed India's hospitals, graveyards and crematoriums, particularly in its biggest cities of Delhi and Mumbai. This is beyond the headlines. I'm your host Sohail Akram. In this edition we try to understand how India's COVID-19 crisis got out of hand and in this are there lessons for the rest of the world. Before we start, please hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcasting app. to get the latest episodes of beyond the headlines on the 1st of march 2021 india reported around 12000 cases in a single day but within just a month the situation took a turn for the worse on 22nd april india reported the world's biggest one day jump in coronavirus cases ever with 314000 new infections in a single day to make sense of these numbers we spoke to zeba warsi She's a special correspondent with India's CNN News 18 and has been on the ground in both Delhi and Mumbai. The ICU bed availability in the national capital is critically low. Uh, some beds are reserved for children at a children hospital in New Delhi, but uh, it's next to impossible to get uh, a patient admitted to an ICU in the national capital. And if this is a situation in the national capital of India, we can only imagine what it's like in rural india what it's like in tier 2 tier 3 cities so this particular family was turned away from six hospitals in the national capital and despite all calls for help we've reached out to ministers we've reached out to members members of parliament we've reached out to covid volunteers citizen volunteers who are trying to uh, help citizens get uh, basic health infrastructure but uh, we were unsuccessful and uh, after nearly 18 hours of desperation and 18 hours of chasing hospitals uh, the family lost uh, that loved one and this is sadly not an isolated incident this is something that is happening to almost every uh, family out there looking for hospital beds most of the families who are looking for an icu bed in delhi over the past one week have not had any success uh, and when they don't find an icu bed they look for other means they look for an oxygen cylinder they look for an oxygen oxygen bed they look for an oxygen ambulance to transfer the patient to another city uh, getting access to that also is extremely difficult so uh, that is of course the state of the national capital the pressure on the healthcare system means it isn't just those suffering from covid that are in danger it's everybody that's at risk born out of apathy and lack of checks and balances zeba witnessed one such case in maharashtra here in maharashtra Uh, in mumbai on the outskirts of mumbai there was an unfortunate tragedy there was an unfortunate incident a fire 
broke out uh, in the ICU of a private hospital uh, in Virar on the outskirts of Mumbai. And uh, a daughter of one of the deceased, that daughter was telling me, um, she spoke to her mother at 10.20 p.m. Uh, the night before. And uh, her mother was recovering. She ha- Her oxygen levels had in fact improved to around 90, even though she was in the ICU. She had hired a private nurse so that, uh, you know, there's better care taken for her mother because the hospital staff is overburdened and she wanted her mother to get the best possible care even inside the private hospital ICU. So she hired a private nurse. She was in touch with with her mother. She had visited the hospital uh, the night before and she was hoping that the next day she would be able to take her mother back home. But uh, in the dead of the night, that fire broke out and then she reached the hospital at around 5 a.m. and everything was lost. Uh, 14 people lost their lives. 14 patients lost their lives in that deadly fire. And uh, that is, of course, extremely, uh, extremely disturbing that at a time when the country is already facing its worst uh, COVID surge, Patients are not only dying with COVID-19. If COVID alone was not enough to kill patients in India, patients are dying in hospital fires and accidental fires. Zeba is referring to the fire that happened at the Vijay Vallabh Hospital in the city of Virar, which is about 70 kilometers north of Mumbai. Just two days before this tragedy, 24 COVID patients died at the Zakir Hussain Hospital in Nashik City after they lost oxygen flow to their ventilators when a leak broke down the supply as a storage tank was being refilled outside. And my father is in a very critical condition. I'm getting no help. Numbers are given there, but nobody is responding. Numbers are not reachable. Please help me, please. My father is dying. I can't afford another loss. I, yesterday I lost my younger brother. India's healthcare facilities consume about 15% of oxygen generated in the country. The rest is meant for industrial use. But the surge in numbers of COVID-19 infections has been so bad that nearly 90% of the country's oxygen supply, which is about 7,500 metric tons daily, is being diverted for medical use. But still, every day, there's news of someone dying because they couldn't get that critical dose of oxygen. Sania Ahmed is in advertising, but also set up a volunteer group in Delhi, which is helping people find medical care. She had thought she was well-placed to help her family when India's second wave of COVID-19 struck. My sister-in-law, her husband was in the ICU and he was recovering. He was getting better. He was stable. So we weren't really uh, worried about his condition because the doctor said that his condition was improving. And then uh, one morning, he just, you know, it, he just took a turn for the worse and he's, he couldn't breathe um, and his oxygen levels dropped. And unfortunately, he passed away. Um, which is why we made my sister and her uh, sister-in-law and the son also um, test for COVID. They were positive, both of them. Now, the only son. And as soon as they found out they were positive, um, she, because she found out about her husband and she had spent one night mourning over her husband, uh, she was feeling breathless. Um, We checked the oxygen levels and that was 65. So that is you know extremely bad and she needed an ICU bed immediately. 
So I am a part of a volunteer support group where wherein we've been working around the clock on SOS requests, reaching out to as many people as possible and trying to look for uh, beds wherever available so that we can direct them to the right place and, you know, get look for injection sources and all of that. Um, so I put an SOS message over there immediately because we wanted help. We had been in touch with the law minister of Delhi and he told us to go to the Rajiv Gandhi hospital, you know, a one bed apparently was available in the ICU. Now, the first difficulty that came was in getting an ambulance. So finally, her son, uh, who was also positive, but he wasn't having any of the severe symptoms, um, took out his car and, and, and they went and we went, you know, separately uh, we reached the, the Rajiv Gandhi uh, hospital and there was a holding area over there where there were just beds kept and everybody who couldn't get a bed was, you know, just lying there. There were just no doctors. We were running around. I kept on calling whoever I could. Um, I kept on reaching out um, to the minister. Um, but apparently the doctor that, that he had reached out to had also collapsed in the hospital while treating his patient because he was also positive apparently. From 3 o'clock till 6.30, till about 6.30, nobody came. Uh, they were, she wasn't started on medicines. There was absolutely no medical help. And by 6.30, my nephew realized that she just wasn't breathing. And that is the time when a ward boy finally came, uh, put her on oxygen, and, you know, and an ECG machine and they tried to check and they, then they just said that, oh, she doesn't have any pulse. And her, their only son became literally an orphan, lost his father one day, the mother the very, very next day. How did India get to this desperate state when in January the country's prime minister declared victory over COVID-19? So I think we got um, a little complacent. I think we got a little overconfident about the fact that uh, the situation had improved to such an extent that we thought uh, a lot of people were using words like herd immunity. There was this speculation that uh, we've reached a critical threshold at which COVID would no longer be a problem. This is Dr. Lancelot Pinto, a consultant pulmonologist in the city of Mumbai who has been at the forefront of treating COVID-19 patients. I'm sure the government themselves probably will realize in hindsight that maybe maybe they should have done things differently. But I think it was a reflection of the general perception across the board that, that COVID was behind us, that this problem was something that we had overcome. I, I don't think anybody would deliberately do something like this with the foresight of knowing that bad things were going to happen as a consequence. I think it was, it was a general reflection of what we were seeing not not just from a government perspective, but in, on an individual perspective as well. So people were having, you know, marriages and and celebrations and parties and 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 going out and and going to restaurants and and you know doing things which they hadn't done before during the lockdown. Uh, if you went out to parks, if you went out to to areas where people would congregate to malls, you would see that the crowds were were getting very close to what they were before the lockdown. Suggesting that, you know, across the board, there was this perception that the worst was over us, that, that uh, you know, COVID was a problem. We hit a peak last year and then there was a gradual consistent and there was a consistent decline across multiple festivals, you know. So everybody expected that there would be a peak post Diwali, which is our big festival, did not happen. 
everybody expected that there would be a peak post the new years that didn't happen either so not only did we get complacent but you know our confidence kind of got boosted by the fact that these events in which people were celebrating for some reason did not re- did not convert into a huge spike and and that kind of fed into this false sense of security fell fed into this confidence uh, where we thought that you know it's okay so we can open up open up things a bit we can have gatherings of people we can go out the government blames the resurgence of infections on crowds and people's reluctance to wear masks since many businesses reopen in february however many also hold the government responsible india went ahead with elections in five states in february with tens of thousands of people joining election rallies often without masks and without social distancing and then came kumbh mela a major indian festival that saw tens of thousands of devotees with no face masks and no social distancing gathered by the ganges river for a holy dip worried that the festival might become a super spreader india's prime minister narendra modi urged devotees for restraint saying the festival should now be kept symbolic officials say more than 1700 people tested positive at the event the festival happens once every 12 years and thus holds some marked significance for hindu followers holy men known as sadhus bring their congregations or akharas to this festival to partake in the mass ritual India is home to 1.4 billion people and health experts fear that if its second wave is not controlled soon it will have devastating effects worldwide the country's top officials are now urging people to wear masks at home as well to prevent the spread of the virus and the government has called in the armed forces to help but how do you tackle such a challenge in a country with a population of 1.4 billion people where the dead aren't getting proper funerals and where there are multiple reports that the state officials may be deliberately doing an undercount of covid-19 deaths here is zeba warsi again there is uh, an acute shortage of space to even cremate their loved ones to give their dignity in death to their family members uh, you know one particular family in delhi they were basically hunting for space to cremate uh, their loved one and they initially reached northwest delhi's asimapuri there was no space to cremate uh and then they were asked to go to gazipur which is another area in northwest delhi it is a very uh, dreadful picture and it is a sad reality on the ground there's also reports of discrepancies in the death toll uh in fact in gujarat in the western state of gujarat uh, this is something that uh, local media has highlighted that at a time when uh, you know a city was reporting 10 to 12 deaths uh, due to covid in the official figures when you visit the crematoriums you would see 30 to 40 people being cremated on a single day uh, at one crematorium so the discrepancy in death toll uh, was really high and this is something that uh, gujarat media unanimously uh, came out with and they highlighted that this is actually happening on the ground so that was another very sad story uh, in delhi especially if you have a certificate uh, from the hospital which says that you uh, you know the patient has died due to covid-19 then the crematorium gives you a death certificate uh, of covid-19 and then that gets added to the death toll of the city but many patients are unable to even get uh, themselves admitted to a hospital in the national capital so there are many many deaths that have been reported uh, uh, you know of people who just couldn't get access to healthcare and they were in fact in home isolation and then 
their condition worsened and they eventually died. So those deaths are not being accounted for as COVID-19 deaths. So there is certainly a discrepancy there as well. As the crisis in India worsens, other nations like the United States, Germany, Israel and Pakistan have promised medical aid. The UAE and Saudi Arabia are among countries supplying oxygen, diagnostic tests, treatments, ventilators and protective gear to help India at the time of crisis, something the World Health Organization has called beyond heartbreaking. Dr. Lancelot says India cannot be singled out because we're still learning about the pandemic and this new deadly second wave, he says, is only a reflection of the country's poor healthcare system. If you look at the pattern across the world, even even countries with a with a rock solid healthcare system like the NHS or you know countries uh, like the United States with with very advanced healthcare infrastructure, I think systems collapsed even there, you know, because nobody anticipated the quantum uh, of the problem. Nobody anticipated the magnitude that the problem would uh, would result in. So uh, yes, I mean, if you ask us whether our healthcare infrastructure is adequate, no, it's not ad- adequate. We know that we we know that our GDP spending on healthcare is has not been adequate, and and hopefully, you know, COVID will be an eye opener. A lot of thought needs to go into how we prepare for the next pandemic, which may be ten years down the road. Uh, I think I think our healthcare system needs to be revamped to a great extent. But in the present pandemic, I don't think it's a reflection of a short term. a mistake or a short term lack of support from the government i think it's just the reflection of a healthcare system which was limited in the extent of what it could do being overburdened by a disease which completely was out of proportion to what anyone could have expected but there is also a huge worry that the new coronavirus variant in india may have spurred the surge experts say there is insufficient data to suggest if it's this variant that's behind india's new astronomical covid numbers but as dr lancelot points it's now well known that it is highly transmissible the current variant which uh, has two important mutations or two mutations that, that have been described so one of the mutations was described in the in a california strain the other was described in a strain seen in south africa and brazil the current the current strain which is which is believed to be the predominant strain in india contains both those mutations so which is why it's it's being referred to as the double mutant uh, strain so basically the the mutation alters the spike protein so the protein which goes and binds into the cell and helps uh, the virus enter the cell what is almost universally believed uh, just based on ground experience is that this particular strain is highly transmissible so it's highly contagious so it moves very rapidly through populations uh which is why you know most of us physicians believe that uh, you know and it was even published last year in some studies that the average percentage of people who would get infected in a household who were in close contact with the patient would be about 15 to 20% which means that if five people were in close contact with a patient with covid in their household only one out of those five would get infected this was the last year's strain however what we are seeing this year and i think most of the doctors who are dealing with covid right now will agree in india that we're seeing entire families get infected so it's 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 almost nobody in the household who is spared this time around suggesting that this is a highly transmissible variant now whether transmissibility means that it is more lethal or will cause a more severe disease the answer to that is probably no so what most of us believe and again you know the real answers can only be known when you do a lot of genotyping when you do a lot of epidemiological studies 
but what we believe is that we are seeing a peak in the number of cases because when the denominator is large enough, so when the number of cases, when the number of infections is so large, even if the proportion of the individuals who need hospitalization or need critical care is really, really tiny, just by virtue of the number of people getting infected being so large, you will eventually overburden your healthcare system. So I think that's that's the current belief. I mean, it's not been proven or disproven because we don't have that studies on that scale to tell us the answer to this. But I think most of us believe that it's not the virulence of the virus or it's not the lethality of the virus that's causing the problem. It's the transmissibility or how contagious the virus is that is causing so many people to get infected that even that small proportion of individuals uh, who deteriorate, uh, that small proportion is completely overwhelming the healthcare system. India may have a poor medical infrastructure, but it's also home to Serum Institute of India, the world's largest vaccine manufacturer. The country has exported more than 66 million vaccine doses since January, including Oxford AstraZeneca, which in India is called Covishield and manufactured by the Serum Institute of India, and Covaxin, manufactured by Bharat Biotech. But as the country grapples with its own crisis, there were multiple reports of many states facing a vaccine shortage. On 9th April, several vaccination centers were temporarily shut in Maharashtra after doses ran out. It's a race against time in India, and experts say that besides the safety protocols, it is the aggressive vaccination that can help India get back to normal. So I think for the world over, you know, the one constant signal that we're seeing from, from across the world is that individuals who've received both doses of the vaccine almost never tend to have moderate to severe disease. Almost, I mean, they do get infected. We know that vaccines are not 100% effective. We know that people can get infected despite getting the two doses. But all over the world, it seems to be consistent across vaccines that if you do get infected after getting your two doses, you will in all probability not be hospitalized. You will not die of the of, of the disease. Uh, the US has released some initial data which suggests that people who've received two doses of the virus have a five in a million chance of getting hospitalized if they get infected and a one in a million chance of dying if they get infected. So I think that's the number one thing that we've learned. The second thing that we've learned across the world is that aggressive vaccination campaigns have led to the drop in the numbers, have led to the decrease in spikes. I think the UK is an example. Israel is another example. Um, And, you know, I think there is early data from India as well, which suggests that this time round, the elderly have not been affected as much as last time round, simply because a lot of the elderly have received one dose of the vaccine already. So I I think there are multiple strong signals which suggest that our best bet uh, against overcoming this for anyone in the world is probably an aggressive vaccination campaign. Late last year, when India's coronavirus infection was peaking, health experts feared the country would explode. It didn't. But that relief, as we now know, was short-lived. The golden period between September 2020 to February 2021 should have been one of reckoning for India to lay a groundwork for a COVID emergency healthcare system. The virus had given all the ominous signs, but it now seems the government could have done more. For a country that's being touted as the world's pharmacy after exporting millions of vaccine doses, it's worrying that its own COVID-19 fight has buckled under pressure. As it turns out, India's vaccination program is lagging behind, with only 1.7% of its population fully vaccinated. As a country's COVID patients suffocate for lack of proper medical care, there's huge anger in the country. Here is Sanya. There is a lot of, lot of, lot of anger 
there's a lot of rage because we know because we've been working with all these people that most of them didn't die of covid they had a chance if only we had sufficient uh, facilities to help them out with they didn't die of covid they died because of lack of medical help at the right time that could have been provided to them and and they could have been probably saved you have no idea how desperate calls i get we we lost from all the sos messages that we've been processing we lost three people just yesterday because they couldn't get an icu bed so there is a lot of rage uh, and what we're doing right now is channeling that rage into helping people because what else do we do we we don't have an option we we can't do anything else we can't um, talk about it we can tweet about it we can you know scream and shout and and but at the end of the day we are all helpless and rather than letting the rage you know spill out we're just trying to divert it focus it into something constructive for now cases where entire you know the entire family has been wiped out in um, a matter of 2 3 days barring one two member so um, if anybody else had been in that position they would have obviously felt been very very angry and we have absolutely every right to be but for now we are focusing on helping each other out frantic relatives putting out messages after messages begging for hospital beds and oxygen cylinders for their loved ones but who is responsible for this crisis here's zeba again so there is anger against prime minister narendra modi yes but there is anger against the way the state governments have handled the pandemic as well and that is another way uh, that the ruling party of uh, the bjp is also deflecting blame they they are attacking opposition parties for their lack of response the fact that the center had uh, issued several letters to state governments asking them to prepare their uh, health infrastructure uh, in february in late january and state governments were not up to the mark that is one argument being put forward by the bjp people are uh, essentially troubled by the entire system they are fed up of the way uh, their local mla has not been able to help them they're fed up of the fact that uh, hospitals have not been increased the fact that it's it's the second wave of the pandemic we had a year to prepare ourselves and we didn't so there is anger there is grief but it's not directed solely towards one person or one, one political party despite the rage and any attempts to find reasons and answers the crisis is still in full effect Sonia feels she and her fellow countrymen have not had time to process the tragedy that has befallen the country. In 2 weeks I have actually lost 10 people from among um friends and close clo- very very close relatives. 10 people where I tried my best and um I couldn't help them. I couldn't do anything. Some of them got the medical facilities and got their treatment started. Some of them didn't. I just lost ten of them, and I have not even stopped to process my grief because I know if I do that, I will have literally have a breakdown. I might not be able to recover from it. So um, I find it better to you know focus on the uh, on working on the SOS request that I'm getting, working with my volunteer group, and helping out wherever I can. because that that is you know a distraction for me right now because the moment i uh, pro- start processing the grief 
um it would be too much to take so i'm just taking my time you have been listening to beyond the headlines and i've been your host sohila kram thanks this week to dr lancelot pinto zeba warsi and sania ahmed if you like this episode of beyond the headlines please subscribe and leave us a review this week's episode was produced by arthur edison and aisha khan with additional help from nilanjana gupta and wajud al khamis